this topic, I want to let you know kind of how we're handling it so that you're prepared. Um, well, I'm going to talk for probably about close to an hour, we'll discuss the topic itself, and then the last half hour, we're going to have breakout groups, and, uh, you're, and you'll know what to do in them, because I'll tell you a little later on, but just know that, one, you're going to want to take some notes, because you're going to be using them, you're going to be processing some thoughts in your breakout groups with them, um, and definitely be listening to the Holy Spirit as He speaks to you and communicates uh, what it is that He wants to say. The light is not coming on. It's, a, it's on here, but... Beautiful. Alright, so with that being said, let's talk about finding God's will for your life. I want you to write the title out. You'll know why in a second. So go ahead and write out that title on your piece of paper. And now, I want you to take your pen, and I want you to cross out, for your life. <laughs> this is the point in and of itself. Finding God's will. You see, oftentimes, I think the reason we actually don't know God's will is because we're looking for God's will for our life instead of looking for God's will. Let's see this come to life in Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5, and we're going to read a few verses, 13 to 15. We go ahead and turn there. Now, as you're turning there, I'll give you a bit of an illustration. Uh, growing up, I have an older brother and an older sister. They both are pretty smart people. Um, to give you an idea, my brother, by the time I was in university, and he did not go to my university, but by the time I was in university, my brother was quoted in my university textbook, okay? So, like, I, like, open up my textbook at school, and he's only four and a half years older than me, and it's like, Andrew Bramson said, I'm like, I call him up, I'm like, did you say this? And he's like, yeah, where did you read it? I'm like, you're in my textbook. Okay, so that's like my brother, all right? Not cool, not cool. You think that's, like, fun? It's not fun to read about your brother at university. Um, but, that being said, my brother liked to read, and I did not. So, oftentimes, my brother would suggest that I needed to read something. And I remember one day he came to me and he's like, Nathan, I have a book that you need to read. And I, I, I said, why should I read it? First of all, it had no pictures in it. It didn't look very appetizing um, for the mind. And, uh, and so I said, why? He said, because it talks about you. Now, when you say that to a youngest child, which we were talking about, you know that there's something there. So I said, okay, well, I'll take a look at it. So the book is called The New Birth Order Book by Dr. Kevin Lehman. Now he's a psychologist and basically the book is about where you're born in the family, kind of uh, determines a bit of how you act. So the youngest children have a distinct way in which they act, oldest, only children, all these things. So when I picked up the book, it didn't look that interesting to me, but I looked at the table of contents and I saw chapter 8 was called Born Last, But Not Least. And I thought, that's me. So I flipped to chapter 8. And as I started to read in chapter 8, this is what I read. You can pick up the book for yourself and see that I'm quoting it. Dr. Kevin Lehman writes, I'm on to you, youngest child. I know you have just skipped the first seven chapters and started right here. <laughs> well, please keep reading. And I was like, well, what is going on? Like, yes! 
And I did. I read that chapter, went back to the beginning, read the whole thing, and read almost everything the guy's written, right? So I, mean, I was like mesmerized. But here's the problem. When I opened up the book, I wasn't really looking at what the book said. I wanted to see what the book said for me. When we come to the Word of God, oftentimes we make the same mistake. We read it as a manual for our life instead of the manual for life. And when we miss out on that, we make it about us and not about God. In Joshua chapter 5, we see this mistake made, but we see how God clarifies the error being made by Joshua. Now, this is prior to Joshua taking the children of Israel into Jericho, and of course the walls falling. And so in chapter 5, verse 13, Joshua's having a bit of quiet time. It says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now what we learned from this passage is, this is not just a commander of the army of the Lord. This is the commander of the army of the Lord. And one reason we can say it's the commander is the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe, in, a, in an Old Testament uh, appearance of him, is that Joshua falls in worship. And if it were a mere angel, the angel would not accept worship. But we see it's actually God. And the, the God fully accepts the fact that, yes, you should be worshiping me. Take off your shoes. Now, let's think about what's said here. Joshua, about to go in to Jericho, asks this angelic being, who he doesn't know who it is, he says, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Now, if I asked you, are you for us, are you for me, or are you for my adversaries? There's really two answers you can give. You can either say, yes, I'm for you, or no, I'm for your adversaries. But notice, he doesn't say either. When Joshua says, are you for us? He says, no. But as commander of the armies of the Lord, I have come. What he's saying is, Joshua, it's not about am I with you or am I against you? I'm in charge. Are you with me? And that's the problem we oftentimes make in finding God's will, is we want God to be part of our plans, we want him to reveal his will for our life instead of realizing he's commander, he's laid out clearly what his will is, and now the question is, will you plug your life into his plans? And that's what you're invited to do. Now, I'm going to make a statement at the beginning, and I'm sure I'll come back to the statement as we go, but God's will is far more broad than we oftentimes make it. When I wake up in the morning, I'm not wondering, like, oh no, am I in the will of God? Now, I do believe there's a perfect will of God, 
And the reason I believe that is because the Word of God teaches in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, Epaphras prays that the, the church at Colossae might be perfect and complete in all the will of God. But the will of God is actually quite a beautiful, broad place. When I say broad, I'm not talking it's easy. I'm saying that he's made very clear what he's doing in the world today. He says, be part of it. He's making disciples of all nations, tribes, and tongues. He's doing a lot, but hang on. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's talk about four things that are God's will. This is just for us to kind of uh, get moving, and then we're going to go in the back door. On this whole subject, we're going to like leave the front door, and we'll go around to the back, and we'll, we'll see things maybe from a different angle. So, this first section here, I want us to look at uh, God's definite will for your life. God's definite will for your life. Now, maybe I should define will before we go on. So what is God's will? Well, a will, if you're taking notes, I'll say it slowly. A will is a deliberate or fixed desire or intention. A deliberate or fixed desire or intention. So in other words, this is something that doesn't change. God is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. We see that in Hebrews 13, verse 8. The Lord Jesus Christ, right? It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, God's will is something which is fixed. So, what is God's definite will? Let's look at uh, four things that are God's definite will. The first thing, uh, turn your Bibles to Second uh, Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, and let's see the first aspect of God's definite will. And I would like to invite someone to read verse 9 upon finding it. Nice and loud. So we see the first aspect of God's will. It says, He is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Number one, salvation. Salvation. God's definite will is salvation. Now, what's beautiful about God's will, and, and I know sometimes we get into like this territory in the church that's like, uh-oh, are you treading on fine ground? No, 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 listen. In, in the Word of God, and we can talk about this later, there's beautiful truths that we don't fully understand, all right? But understand this, that it says God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That does not mean everybody responds to God's will. When you read about the Pharisees, you see at times it says they did not do the will of God. God does not force His will upon you. At the same time, we see that His will is very clearly for your salvation. And, here, and here's an example of it. Now, with that being God's will for salvation, that tells me something about all of you. It tells me that Christ died for you. He wants you saved. If that's the case, already I know a lot of uh, what my privilege is, and that is to share the gospel with you. I know that Christ wants you to be His bride forever. So already, God's will is becoming really broad. Because remember how I talked about what I see when I see someone? Well, because I see that, and because I see what God's will is for you, I've already got a full-time job for the rest of my life, whether I'm working in IT or whether I'm working in a hospital. I've got souls around me. I've got the Word of God that's promised me that He does not will in any should perish. That's the beginning of God's will. Salvation. But that's not where it stops. There's three more things I want to just take a glance at. 
The next thing, how about uh, Ephesians 5? Let's go to Ephesians 5.
He doesn't just want you to be sanctified. Now, let me tell you, sanctification only happens through number three and being filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? I mean, like, having the Spirit of God, because without Him, it's impossible for you men. Remember the illustration I gave about my house in Niger and the, the breaker that would pop? We have to have the source of power. For you ladies, don't worry. You'll still get the point. I just wanted to refer back to that illustration. So what do we have? The third thing that we see is He wants us to be Spirit-filled. He wants us to be full of Himself. And when we're full of himself, what's the world going to get? They get Christ in us, the hope of glory. So already, I want you to see that God's will is just clearly laid out. He wants you saved, he wants you sanctified, he wants you spirit-filled. But the third thing, or the fourth thing, kind of encapsulates everything else. You're like, well, can't you make this list like ten things, fifteen things? Probably, but number, number four covers the rest. Number four... He wants the scriptures to be your basis of decision. The scriptures. He's given you his scriptures to guide you in life. He's given you his word. And that's what we have before us. And uh, as you think about this, let me give you a bit of a, an illustration that kind of drives us home when we think about the scriptures. Well, we know that all scripture has been given by God. It's been given by inspiration. It's been given for our instruction, for our reproof, for our learning. Uh, but hang on. As we think about the scriptures, um, a story took place, I don't know what year it was, but it happened in Barcelona, Spain. And there was a guy named Viti, Vito Mitti. Vito Mitti was, uh, I think, a grad student, but he was in a library in Barcelona. And uh, he was studying philosophy. And he was in this library, and he, he picked out a philosophy book that clearly had not been taken off the shelf in a while. As he took it off the shelf and was reading it, and, and, and going through what this, this author had to teach, he came across this slip of paper that was in it. He pulled the paper out, and it looked like a legal document. And he saw on the legal document, it was the author's name. And it said this, my will is bequeathed to whomever reads this book. Now think about this. He actually took it to the court system in, in Spain and come to find out it was a legal document and he got 250,000 euros or dollars, whatever. I mean, I know it's euros or whatever, but it said dollars in the story, so um, maybe that's the equivalent. But the point was, this author left his will to whoever found that book. Well, you know what? The Lord has said the same thing about this. It's almost as though when you open these pages in the morning and you start to read, he says, my will is bequeathed to whoever reads this book. He's laid it right in front of us, the scriptures, his holy scriptures, his word, his desire for our life, right there in front of you. And so often we say, God, I want to know your will. I want to know your will. I want to know your will. And he says, it's right there. But oftentimes I believe that the Lord shows us one step in his will, one step in his word. But what we do is instead of obeying that step, we say, okay, God, I see I'm supposed to do that. But what's going to be the step after that? Or what's the broad plan? Like, I need a five-year plan. We're really obsessed with five-year plans or ten-year plans. We really like, have to know the future. God says, I want you to obey today. If you can't be obedient today, why would I tell you what I'm looking at years down the road? He says, my word is a lamp 
to your feet, just enough to show you the next step, not a floodlight to your path. And so are we trusting this step A before we demand step B? So we see the four things that are God's definite will for your life. Salvation, sanctification, being spirit-filled, and the scriptures, obedience to the Holy Scriptures. These are things you don't have to pray about. Uh, I, I actually sometimes have uh, given a message called Three Times to Stop Praying. And in Scripture, we see times where God says, why are you praying? Stop it. Like, why would you pray about something I've already said? Remember in Exodus chapter 14 with Moses? And, and we love this verse. We quote it like it's like some kind of like, oh, hallelujah moment. When it says, you just stand still. The Lord will fight your battle for you. That's what Moses says. Read verse 15. What does God say? He says, why are you standing still? Go forward. It's like we love this idea, and God's like, I already told you, get to the Red Sea, I'll instruct you what's next, I'm about to part some water, but I don't want you just to stand still, I want you to walk in faith. So trust that God's word, when he shows you one thing from it, one step of obedience, one person to forgive, one sin to confess, one act of love to demonstrate, one person with whom to share the gospel, just obey, and trust that the next step will follow. He'll guide you step by step. Chances are all of you here, I know me, have been convicted by something over the last 24 hours. Why? Not because you heard any good messages, because the Word of God's been opened. And if you've been convicted by one thing, I encourage you, don't be too eager to find something else. Obey. And as you obey, you will find the voice of God meeting you on the other side of obedience saying, now here. He'll guide you into all truth. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16. So, God's definite will. But now, now I want us to take the back door. And for the rest of the time, we're going to take the back door. And I want us to walk through, um, I think we're going to look at 14 maybe, uh, 14 things that are deterrents to living in God's will. Deterrents. Now, Here's the thing. I want you to get them all down. I want you to process them. Because at the end of these 14, if we actually go through all 14, we're going to break up into groups of about five to seven people. In those groups, you're going to choose your top two deterrents that keep you from fully living in the will of God for your life. You're going to realize that it's right there. And you're going to realize that the opportunity was there for you, but these deterrents are real. Now, now I, I wish I could be nice and be like, maybe you won't have two. You're going to have more than two. You might find yourself in all 14. But find two that the Holy Spirit really can fix one. And in your group, you're going to discuss what they are, and you're going to share it with the others. And at the end, I want you to have a time of prayer for each other. And maybe the person to your right can pray for you and you'll go around the circle that way. And I want this to be a time where we really deal with God. Where we really respond to His Word. I want to be ingrained in our minds. I want there to be that accountability saying, Hey, I'm failing to fully walk in the will of God because of these things that are in my life right now. So, let's look at 14 things that keep us from walking in this beautiful will of God and participating in what He has for us. All right, number one. 
They all are going to start with an S, so should be fairly easy to follow and hopefully remember. Number one, sentiments. Feelings. Sentiments. Your sentiments. This is a huge one that keeps us from walking in God's will just because we don't feel like it. Now, we, we discussed this yesterday in the men's session, and we kind of looked at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, right? And we saw that whoever desires, uh, uh, whoever sees uh, from sin, <laughs> hang on, I just, just slipped my mind, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Yes, that's exactly right. I have a policy, though. If I ever start quoting a verse and I don't, I make myself go read it. Because I have to be ingrained. So, you're exactly right, though. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And we talked about how, okay, that verse sounds like, what's going on here? But the, the point is, kind of flip it around, you'll understand it better. If you're going to cease from sin, you're going to suffer in the flesh. Why? Because my feelings go against my flesh, Right? And so if I want to walk in the will of God, let's just be honest. My feelings is not, hey, I want to talk to you about the gospel. My feelings is I want to be left alone. My feelings is I don't want to be awkward. My feelings are I don't want you to think weird things of me. My feelings are this is going to take some of my time. See, if my feelings guide my path, I will not walk in the will of God. Sentiments are a great deterrent to truly walking in what the Word of God says. Because if it says it, just do it. What if Jesus meant what he said? What if he meant what he said? Like I mentioned yesterday of don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. I feel like having some treasures on earth. And since when have your feelings been God? Let me remind you of this. And I think I said it before. Your feelings are facts. But your feelings aren't necessarily based on fact. You really do feel that way. That's what I mean. They're fact. Yeah, I, I know. Like You really want that. You really don't want that. But that doesn't decide once you're in Christ. See, Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me say it like this. You might want to write it down because you might want to think about it later on. When you obey God solely when you understand what he's asking you, or when you like what he's asking you, you treat him like your teacher. But when you obey God, even when you don't feel like it or understand it, you exalt him as Lord. And so the first deterrent we're going to have is we're going to have this deterrent of, I just don't feel like it. And that's going to be a common one. All right, number two. Shame. Shame. A great deterrent to living in the will of God is shame. You look at your past instead of looking at God's promises or looking at what God said about you and what he wants from you. Let, let me just encourage you right now. Your story does not override God's word. Your sin is not greater than Christ's blood. Your shame is not a valid excuse for disobedience to God's will. Some of you, I believe, live in shame, and the reason you live in shame is 
maybe because you perceive people think certain things. Or maybe you think, man, if, if I do what God's asking me, who am I? I'm unworthy. Don't worry, we're all unworthy. But for the grace of God. Yes, yeah, sometimes there's repentance that needs to happen first. Sometimes there's uh, confession, forgiveness, things that need to go on. But shame can be a deterrent. Now, I'll tell you, in your groups, that's going to be a hard one for you to admit because the shame really is the reason. It's really hard to come out and say, I'm just ashamed. I'm ashamed of myself. Is there something that God's definite will has called you to, and yet shame is keeping you from it? Number three. Success. Success. We're going to talk about this tonight. Forgetting the things which are behind. Pressing on toward the things which are ahead. What kind of success? So many times. And, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, the Success is linked with pride, okay? But there have been numerous times in my life where I have rested on past accolades. I've rested on past achievements. I've rested on a past obedience and suggested that because I was obedient yesterday, today I have a past. I think you all know what I'm talking about. A past to talk with someone. A past to pour out myself. A past to give, to be generous, because yesterday I was, so today is my off day. Are you allowing success to be the very reason you're not walking in the will of God today? Number four, situations, situations. See, when God tells you what his will is, and again, I'm just talking his broad, definite will where you don't have to pray about it, this is God's will. Sometimes we suggest that our situations keep us from being able to obey his will. I, I kind of alluded to it in the last message, even talking about, well, I've really been hurt. My situation is different than someone else. That like, you just don't quite understand, like, I know this is what God wants, but... But it's like, this is a little more extreme than a normal case. Or you don't understand what I'm going through in my personal life. Or I'm really, really feeling like I'm sick right now. Or sometimes our situations, our job situation keeps us from, what's the will of God? The will of God is thankfulness. because that, That's clearly in the scriptures. The will of God is that you do all things without grumbling and disputing. But you don't get my situation. I need to grumble a little bit because this really is a bad situation. What am I doing? I'm allowing a situation to keep me from walking in God's will for me. And I wonder, is there a situation in your life that up until now you're using it as an excuse when God actually calls it a platform? God's excited about it, and you're discouraged about it. He says, this is where my will my, my, my love is going to be clearly demonstrated and you say, this is the reason I can't obey you. Situations. We have sentiments, we have shame, we have success, we got situations. Number five. Solutions. Solutions. Now, what do I mean by solutions? It, it kind of goes back to something I mentioned before on 
compromise uh, in, the, in the last message about having the answers to the wrong questions. But when I say solutions, sometimes solutions keep us from the will of God. And what I mean by that is we ask questions like, how can I make a lot of money? That's a common question we ask. How can I be really successful in my community? How can I be well-known? How can I, I don't know what questions you ask. When you ask these questions and you have solutions to them, you'll stay out of the will of God because you're pursuing something which is not even God's will for your life. Like, I'm not saying he doesn't have certain Christians rich. I'm not saying he doesn't have certain Christians well-known. But that's not what you aim for. That might be a side product that he, that he ends up putting across your path. But sometimes it's our solutions that actually keep us from even seeing what God's will is. Here he is with a broad will saying, I'm commander-in-chief, I'm guiding you, this is where I'm going, there's victory in Jericho, but you say, hang on, I want victory in Ai. And so here you are as Joshua fighting in a different city when God says, this is where my victory is going to be. God's clearly lined up and clearly told us where his victory is found, where that victory in Christ is enjoyed for your life. But oftentimes we want victory in a different area and we end up like Demas. Winning, but we have worthless victory. We're confused about what the right battle actually is. So, number five, we see solutions can be the very deterrent to us walking in the will of God. Number six, this one's good, guys. Support. The support of family members, the support of loved ones, the support of friends. Sometimes a deterrent to the will of God is when we don't feel supported by those that are closest to us. In other words, we know what God has called us to do with our life, but the ones closest to us say, hang on, before you can do that, you need to make sure you have a really good education. Some of you are like, yes, I am the deterrent to God's will in people's lives. Yes, some of you are. <laughs> some parents and grandparents are the greatest deterrent to their kids walking the will of God because we would rather have them stable in a job than closely following Jesus Christ. Let's just admit it. It's true. We would rather prepare our kids for marriage than for martyrdom because we deem that relationship more important than intimacy with Christ. Oftentimes, it's the ones that love you most that will push you away from walking closely to God's will. Let me ask you straight out. If God has clearly said what his will is for you, I'm not talking about, oh, I need to marry this person, so like this is God's will for me. And I'm talking, no, what you know in the word of God, this is God's will for you. Do you need the support of anyone else to go do it? Absolutely not. When God has clearly articulated your sanctification, clearly articulated that he wants you filled with the Spirit, clearly articulated that he wants souls saved around you, clearly articulated that we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel, and still today, 42% still haven't gotten the gospel. That's not okay. That's not okay. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said that, and still today, the church has 40% of the world that has yet to have access to the gospel. What's up? It's a bunch of Christians that don't care about the will of God. 
I'm sorry, I wish I could say it nicer and be like, oh, it's okay, it's not okay. We're a church that really doesn't love Jesus very much. And I say a church, I'm talking the church worldwide. If we did, we would want to live in the will of God. We don't. And part of that reason is support. We care too much about what people think around us. Number six. Number seven. This one's huge, guys. It goes along with support. Safety. Safety. Let me say it like this. Write it down, mark your words, no apologies. Safety has nothing to do with the will of God. Boom, done. Nothing, zero, nada. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And if you're taking up your cross, you're not headed on vacation. You're on your way to die. I think Jesus meant what he said. I really, really do. So what Jesus has for you is not a safe life. What he has for you is a blessed life. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He does not mask anything. If you're trying to live safety above obedience, you will never walk in the perfect will of God. I didn't say that God won't use you. I didn't say you won't know him to some extent. I said you won't walk in the perfect will of God. Safety has nothing to do when it comes to obedience to the will of God. Nothing to do with it. You know how many times I've been asked by people in places I work in the world, is it safe? I say, is it safe? How does that have anything to do with anything? If Jesus said go, you go. That's like totally irrelevant. A, a difficult situation for me was when Ebola was striking over in West Africa. And I was living in that region, not in the Ebola countries, but right next door. And I got so many notes about, are you okay? And are you safe? Do you have Ebola? Da, 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 da. I got really burdened. Because nobody was asking me in the church... Are people going in there to preach the gospel to all these villages that are dying off? My friends and I were one phone call away from moving straight into the Ebola zone because we're like, Lord, we're not looking to be dumb. But we know you said go into all the world. We're already in Niger serving unreached people. But all we're looking for is one invitation to go to Guinea, to go to Mali, to go to Liberia, Sierra Leone, and go straight to those camps. All we want is if we get an invitation, we're off and going. And that didn't come. But we had prayer meetings together, and we were like, Lord, we're so... Our eagerness was not to avoid, it was to be there. But so many people asked me, are you safe? Finally, I had to respond, and I said, guys, thank you for caring about my life. But stop asking if I'm safe. I'm eternally safe. I have eternal life in Christ. I know where my home is. I'm okay. But souls are going into eternity every day because of this disease called Ebola. And many of them don't know of Christ. We should be concerned about their safety, not mine. Let me ask you, does safety have anything to do with your decision making when it comes to obedience to the will of God? If it does, it's a deterrent. Now, now let, let me make it a little harder, okay? That was too easy. Let me talk to parents. Does safety have anything to do with how you're going to Raise your children to follow Jesus. Are you going to encourage them to be safe for 80 years and live a life perhaps not well rewarded? 
Or as your little girl grows up, are you going to encourage her that the greatest thing she could possibly do is present her body as a living sacrifice to the Lord and for reasonable service when she comes to know Him? Will you take any greater joy than if one day your little girl gets to give her life for Jesus Christ? Grandparents, same thing. Maybe it's not an issue in your life, but it could be an issue in the lives you love around you. My wife and I are expecting our first baby. I've already started praying for my child. My wife and I, we, we pray very specifically that our child will be one who will be ready to give their life for the Lord in any way that he might ask. I know it's going to be hard. I already see the face of my child on ultrasounds. I look forward to seeing their face. I don't know if it's a boy or girl, so if I slip up with a pronoun, don't read anything into it because I got zero clue. <laughs> but I know when I see his face, it'll be even harder. I get that. But then I got to see the face of the Lord Jesus Christ and realize my baby's going to stare into that face one day. And my desire as a father is to prepare my child for the day they stand there. Is safety key part in our decision making when it comes to the will of God? Number eight. Skills. Skills. Your skills. So, we love this excuse of skills. Moses tried it a long time ago. Jeremiah gave a, gave a shot at it. A lot of dudes in the scriptures tried out their skills saying, God, I'm not quite able to do what you're asking me to do. Listen. You're not that skilled. None of you. Me neither. We don't have what it takes. That's not the point. We have the God who's got what it takes. And he says, I will be with you. When Moses says, I can't talk, God's not like, oh, Moses, 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 you're so good. Your voice is amazing. It's such a deep voice. It's just beautiful. <laughs> God does not do any of that. He says, Moses, I'll be with you. That's all. I'll be with you. Who gave you your mouth to talk? Me. I'm the one speaking. He's like, go get Aaron. He's like, I know Aaron can talk. I gave him his voice too. I wanted you because in weakness, my power is demonstrated. Guys, are we using our skills as an excuse for why we don't walk in the will of God? Are you claiming that you actually don't have what it takes to obey God's will? Did God slip up? Oops. Did he say something wrong to you? Like, you're not supposed to be sharing the gospel, that you're not supposed to be a light to the world, you're not supposed to be the salt of the earth, that you're not supposed to be willing to let him do his work in you because your situations preclude that? What? What, what an insult to God. Remember what I said? He perfectly knit you together inside your mother's womb. He made no mistake at all. If he made no mistake, you are exactly what he intended to create. It means that you're perfectly made and perfectly ready to be fully obedient to the will of God in your life. So skills. How about number nine? Significance. Significance. What do I mean by significance? I mean, sometimes God calls us to things that just don't seem very important. We're like, man, how can it be that important to just like be obedient in my closet? When no one sees this, like, is it really that important to walk in the will of God for sanctification? I'll give you an example of this, all right? Something God convicted me on. So you guys are going to, like, think, this is just dumb. But, guys, it's truly the Holy Spirit convicting me. 
And I actually get excited about it now, like legitimately excited. I think it's the first time I'm ever sharing it publicly, by the way. I got convicted that when I'm driving in any country, it tells me that I'm to honor those in authority over me. Now, it doesn't say always obey, because if they tell me to disobey God's word, I'm going to obey the Lord, but I can still honor with the consequences. So if the United States says I can't preach the gospel, I'm still going to preach the gospel, but I will happily be arrested and go to prison. No problem. Okay. And that's true in any country. I'm just using the U.S. as the example. Now, the United, every country has something in general called speed limits. A lot of people don't care about speed limits, but I got really excited recently because I realized that this is an easy way to honor those in authority over me. I realized that when a speed limit is posted, I, I, I want to speed because I want to get there faster, I want to do this or that, maybe it's more fun. But I realized, wow, I can honor those in authority because that's a way I honor God. I'm taking the scriptures, some of you guys don't like I'm saying this because you're like, uh-oh, am I going to be convicted? I'm like, not listening, not listening. But, I got really excited because here I am, in, the, in my car on back roads, driving through the mountains, and the speed limit's like a really uh, low speed limit, like 70 kilometers an hour, and there's like nobody on the roads. This is just like, why? I can be going 120 safely. But all of a sudden I have a worship session. I get my car up to 69 or 70 kilometers an hour, I put in cruise control. Cars are flying by me when they do come. There I am just going slowly. This is like my normal life now. It still makes people annoyed if they're in my car. And I just have a worship session saying, Lord, this is just for you. Nobody will ever see it. Nobody will know. This is for you. And you know significance can come into play? I can say this is not significant. Guys, everything in the Word of God is significant because it's for the Lord. It's to please the Lord. It's to say, Lord, it seems kind of dumb to me, but you say it's important. I trust you over my feelings. And though it seems small, obedience is huge. I want to encourage you that whatever the Lord gives you in your life to obey Him in, it's big. Whether it be your holiness in your own personal life, or whether it be honoring those in authority over you, or whether it be something else in your life that maybe seems otherwise. How about this? Some of you, and I want to encourage the mothers just for a second. I don't know if it's uh, like what, what it's like per se in, in uh, your personal community here, but I know many mothers who could be frustrated when they see God doing great things, maybe externally through the lives of their husbands or they see things happy and they're at home and they have these precious little treasures that they seem to be disciplining and teaching and nothing seems to be changing and it's frustrating and it's not that. Listen, there is nothing greater in the kingdom of God than faithfulness. Significance is not found in the quantity of people to whom you minister. It's not found in what people perceive as a great ministry. I'm absolutely convinced that your care of your little treasure and being faithful is as great as anything I might ever do traveling the world and preaching the gospel. 
Because when you stand before God and I stand before God, we both have the same requirement, litmus test, whatever, and that is were we faithful with what God gave us. That's all. Significance can keep you from the will of God because you neglect what He gave you for the sake of what you think is bigger and better. Be faithful. Be faithful. It's required in the steward that a man be found faithful. Alright, moving on. We're almost there, guys. Number 10. Statistics. Statistics. Why do I say statistics? Like, well, what are we thinking of? Well, sometimes we look at God's will, what He calls to do, we say, hey, that's not possible. It's not going to happen. Uh, like, think Gideon, right? Like, 32,000 men out of 300 men to go conquer these Midianites. And, and, and what do they refer to the Midianites as in, in Judges chapter 6? They're like, as many as the locusts or something like that. It's like, there's crazy amount of them. This is not going to work. How about Samson, the jawbone of a donkey, and he kills hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of Philistines. The statistics, the odds were not in his favor. Sometimes when God calls you to something... Like, I'll give you a simple example. Somebody who's really tough in your life, like they don't want to accept the gospel, and they're just like obstinate, they're ugly towards it, and you say, God, they're not open. God says, that's why I want you to share the gospel with them. You say, but they're not open. He says, I didn't ask that. I said, share the gospel with them. Keep praying for them. Maybe there's someone you've been praying for for 30 years, and you just want to quit praying. God says, keep praying until the day you die. I'm not done. See, sometimes statistics seem against us. We think that nothing's happening. Have statistics deterred you from fully obeying the will of God? That gets in the way for me a lot. I look at a situation, I judge it with my eyes instead of the word. So common. That's a huge one in, in, in deterring me. All right, next one. 11, number 11. Stuff. 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 Just straight out things. Some of us don't follow the will of God because we are addicted to things. We love the world and the things in the world. You don't want me to say the next part of that verse, right? And therefore the love of the Father is not in us. Well, the Word of God says. You can take it up with me, but there's no point. Take it up with God. He said it. Sometimes we want to obey God, but you know what we got? We got big loans. We got to pay off first. Because we fell in love with something in the world that God hadn't even provided for because He didn't want us to have it. But now we're in debt. Or maybe we just have a house so full of stuff that we know we've been called to go elsewhere, but frankly, we're just too established. This is our home. I'm not saying things are wrong, I'm saying stuff gets in the way when it's an excuse for why we can't obey the Lord. Remember what I just said in the last meeting. Two things last forever. Souls and the Word of God. Invest your life in those things. Everything else can go. I had such a blessing last year. Hudson was with me. It was so hard. Oh, wow. This is like, ah, awful times. Hudson, you were the closest brother to me. I had ten guys traveling with me at the time. And uh, Hudson just like walked with me as close as possible. And we, I just, uh, we just flown into Charlotte. We were about to start a summer ministry. I had to preach 50 times over the next few weeks. 
And, uh, and, and for the first time in 10 years, I had all my stuff together in one place. All my journals from the last 10 years in Egypt and Niger, my message notes, and I was trying to consolidate things before getting married just so I didn't have all these papers. And So I had my computer, my backup computer, I had my Bible um, with all every page covered in notes. I had all my notes for that summer. Um, I had my electronic equipment for recording podcasts. I had all the money for the, the, the guys for that whole summer. I mean, everything was there. We ran into a store with the car locked. Other guys had their stuff in the car too. And within those 14 minutes in a store, somebody drilled the hole out of the car, stole all of my stuff, nothing of anyone else's, all of my stuff. And I come back out to the car, and the Bible that I had invested uh, thousands of hours in, the notes from the last 10 years, including the backup notes and the hard copy notes, all my journals, and the money and stuff wasn't very significant compared to all that, gone. And it was one of the weirdest hard feelings, but also freeing feelings of realizing that everything most important hadn't been touched. It was hard. But the Lord, he, you can attest even immediately, there was already peace. Even at that moment, I remember us guys getting together and praying and saying, it's, it's okay, the Lord allowed it. And we got to move on. It was already like midnight and three messages the next day. And I remember, I think Hudson's like, here, use my Bible. And we're just like trying. And it was just freeing to realize that stuff gets in the way of us thinking it's not possible, I can think, well, I couldn't do that because I have all this. No, God's like, oh, let me just take it all away from you. It's fine. Yeah, keep going. You don't need anything you have to obey God. He'll make sure you have everything you need to be fully obedient to Him. So stuff. Is something in your life in the way of obedience? Number 12. We're almost there. We're doing great. I was aiming to finish this part in five minutes, so I think we're going to just about hit it and give you guys half an hour for your breakout drink. So, I'm excited when we're on time. Uh, number 12. Stagnancy. Stagnancy. Now, what do I mean by stagnancy? This one's actually very important because I think it's going to hit. I think a few of you are going to mention this as you're, as you're deterring. Stagnancy is, okay, I'm going to use it. Uh, you're not old, but you're older than... Majority, okay? So I'm going to use my brother George here as an example. I, I honestly don't know him too well, but I've appreciated his spirit. Like, even in what's happening over the last few months, this, like, I, I'm being serious. I'm not saying this to praise him. Like, he's been a very gracious man. And just, I, I sense a gentleness and a kindness in him that I really appreciate. I genuinely appreciate. Now, I'm sure God's using him in many ways. But you know, there's a great danger when that happens. The danger is, he can say, God's using me. My ministry is effective. I see the impact. And he fails to consult the Lord because he just is going to keep doing what he's doing. Stagnancy is when we become content with what God's just given us in the past. And we don't pursue the future. What we just spoke about, right? That Paul says, not that I have already attained. In other words, every day I've got to come back and say, Lord, 
Mold me, teach me, make me more and more in the image of Christ. Have you become stagnant so that you're content with a portion of, of God's will, but you're not living in that perfect will as a pastor's prayer? I want to encourage you. If you're stagnant, be encouraged that God's convicting you to call you out of that, saying, I've got even more for you than you're currently enjoying. I have no doubt that God's using almost all of you in some way. And that's beautiful. Praise the Lord. But imagine, he wants to use you even more. It doesn't mean more people are going to know it. It doesn't mean it's a higher position in the eyes of men. But the Lord will be glorified through it. Stagnancy. It's stagnancy in the way. Two more things. Number 13, status. Your status. Oh, we love titles, don't we? One thing I decided to do is whenever I graduated with some kind of degree, I gave all my it, all awards, academic awards, anything, I just give them away. I give them to my mom, give them to somebody. Like, I don't want any. I don't want any. Because one thing is, if you ask me, what do you do in life? I'm not saying those things are wrong, but I follow Jesus. I don't ever have what I do to be something that will ever change. Like, it's not, oh, I'm a doctor in this or that. That stuff is going to fade and pass. Status can get in the way of serving. Jesus Christ calls us to be a servant. You want to be high in the kingdom of God? Get low in the kingdom of men. You want to be honored in God's kingdom? Start taking people's shoes and socks off and washing their feet. He who desires to be greatest will be least among you. The least among you will be greatest. It's a very simple backwards principle, but it's so true. You want to walk in the will of God? It will involve you probably being disrespected. It'll involve you not defending yourself because people will devalue who they think you are. And you're okay with that because you realize that God sees and God promotes those who are humbled. Status. Do you have a status in your life that you have to insist people know? Do you have a position that you're just like, ah, I don't think you know who I am? <laughs> I'll tell you who I am. I'm a sinner saved by God's amazing grace. That's who I am. And God can take anything from me because it's not mine to start with. It's a gift from Him. But I'll tell you, I'm an amazing Savior who loves me. That's who I am. And that's never going to change. All the other things, whatever. Status. The final one, number 14. You can laugh about this one because actually, even though it's laughable, it's actually a conversation I've even had today. It's something I struggle with every day. Uh, here you go. Sleep. Sleep. I know. I know. You're like, that's so, like, not spiritual. We live in a culture that at times worship sleep. I, I don't actually think we do. I think it's just our lack of... I think it's our abundance of laziness. Um, in the sense of we want to be up late and then we just allow sleep to be an excuse. But I wonder... You can take sleep in a broad category, just of fatigue. How often does God have something for us and we let fatigue be the reason that we don't respond? I know for me, it's often 
It might not be physically sleeping, but I'm tired. And because I'm tired, I'm like, eh, I'll skip that conversation. Because I'm tired, eh, I'm not going to extend myself to a hurting brother. Because I'm tired, eh, I'm not going to spend time with the Lord. And what I quickly see is sanctification falls after sleep. I just wonder, what's deterring us from just enjoying God's will? Don't make it over-spiritual and be like, oh man, but what's God's specific will? His will is you walk in His Word. His will is that you know Him. Seriously, so you're an IT tech? Great. You're a doctor? Fine. You're a missionary? Excellent. That's not the big thing. The big thing is, are we walking in God's definite will regardless? Because if we are, our mission field of a hospital, our mission field of a home, our mission field of northern India, our missionary field of Bhutan, whatever our missionary field is, is where we're at. Be faithful. Significance is found in faithfulness, not in faith. So, I'm going to pray, and we're going to break up into groups. So what I'm going to ask you to do, and uh, for the sake of... Uh, for the sake of just good conversation sparking and real openness, I'm going to ask that uh, we have women's groups and men's groups. And I'm only asking that because I want real vulnerability. I know some, some people, most wouldn't care, but some might. So just for the sake of that, so find a group of five to seven, and let's go around the circle, name two things quickly. You don't have to give like an exposition of them, but whatever you feel like would be useful for praying, share with it. I'm sure somebody will appreciate your perspective, um, and then pray for each other. And when we get to right about uh, 43 minutes after the hour, um, I'll draw everyone back together with another word of prayer. Okay, so let's pray. Father, as we break up, I just pray work in our lives. We know that you love us and that you desire for us to walk in your will. And I pray that we would truly see that you're not hiding your will from us, but more simply using excuses, deterrence that are keeping us from enjoying that perfect will that you have before us. So Lord, during this time, may we be honest before you and reveal to us, convict us of those things that keep us from enjoying intimacy of knowing you more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So feel free to move chairs around and let's uh, try within the next 60 to 85 seconds to be in our group.